Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unfolding Sharp Corners, a podcast creating a community space to discuss all the taboo topics we're told not to talk about. I'm Barthi Rupani, and this is my co-host. Hi, everyone. I'm Sherry Arasachin. And in each episode, we'll be unfolding a sharp taboo topic, exploring a variety of perspectives, and finding a new relationship to it. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Hey, everybody. We are lucky to have our guest today. Her name is Pauline Chung. Pauline, why don't you um, say hello, tell us a little bit about yourself, and what, you, uh, what we might be covering today for you. Hi, thanks for having me here. Um, my name is Pauline Chung. I'm an executive and leadership coach. I support female leaders and um, professional uh, high potential women to overcome their fears and so that they can step into confidence and lead with more impact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm happy to go where this conversation goes. Um, nice. I know you've had some interesting guests on already, you know, under the umbrella of, of um, immigrants and children of immigrants. And I, I fall into that. I, um, and one area that comes up for me is, is just being comfortable, finding our identity and being comfortable in it. You know, as someone who was born and raised in, in, in England, um, I spent mm-hmm. some time in Hong Kong too, you know, where my parents originally came from. And now I'm living in the US. Um, I've had a, and I've worked with people from a variety of different cultures. Um, so it's been fascinating what I've been taking away from that and um, how it helps inform um, my coaching too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. I'm curious about, you know, identity and, uh, you know, what, even in this moment today, what might still feel like taboo or unspoken about your experience of identity and belonging? Um, What feels taboo? Great question. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, well, what I've struggled with a little bit recently um, was, and, and, and this is something that Asians struggle with in general a little bit, I think, is, is honoring our cultural values of being humble and being uh, uh, respectful of authority, while at the same time being able to take a stand for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? It just feels a little bit in conflict, but just in finding a way to navigate that so that it doesn't. And also... Um, for me a little bit, um, it's been finding ways in which I can help, but not seem like the issue is about me, even though there are, you know, challenges going on around the Asian community, the Asian American community right now. And at the same time, you know, the, 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 the black community has suffered a lot too. So it seems like there's a lot of, um, things going on mm-hmm. and um, trying to reconcile all of that. Yeah. What's that, um, what's that process been like for you? The, uh, of trying to reconcile that? Mm-hmm. 
Um, for me, I'm, I'm more of a behind the scenes person. So, <laughs> um, and I love the one-to-one nature. So for me, it's, it's, it's been easier to do it just having individual conversations. I mean, it's longer, it's slower, but it's more meaningful mm-hmm. just having conversations um, one at a time. Um, yeah. I think my the, the, the best place I can have impact on are the people that I'm in contact with. Um, I, you know, and so for other people, for other people who, who have a higher profile, have a platform, Mm-hmm. Yes, they can engage on a larger scale. So I think, I don't think it's an either or approach. I think for many yeah. people who are like myself, you can keep doing it, you know, on a, on a small scale, on, from the ground up, mm-hmm. as you say, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was the moment that um, you knew that, well, I guess also... <laughs> I've like two different questions happening at the same no time in my mind, but like one was like, when did you even know that you had to shift your um, thinking on it or shift your perceptive on it or get involved? Um, so I will just go um... I'll just rewind a little bit to, to, to get involved in this. Um, you, you know, I was born and raised in England, you know, mm-hmm. the, the child of first-generation immigrants mm-hmm. um, in a small, very white town, a blue-collar town. And so as the child of uh, immigrant parents, you know, actually we were the only Asian mm-hmm. family, the only Chinese family in our, in our town, in our neighborhood. And I was the only one at school. So it really stuck out that I was different. And as a child, you, know, you, you don't have a lot of help. And it wasn't just yeah. me. You know, my parents would get some of that harassment too in the shop they ran. And um, this whole sense of uh, not belonging or being told mm-hmm. that you don't fit in because your face looks the wrong color, it looks the wrong shape. You know, I was just, They'd make fun of my eyes and, you know, ask me if I got hit by a frying pan because, it, you know, my features are generally flatter than, than a white Caucasian person, yeah. right? So all of also, that. Also, kids are horrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Just acknowledge that kids are terrible. They are. Um, you know, that part I've forgiven now because, you know, kids are kids. They, yeah. I, I think they learn from others. What I've mm-hmm. known, I, what I realize is that they learn from um, the adults and the messages that they get. Um, you know, oh, some kids might have been attacked for wearing glasses mm-hmm. or because they had red hair or they were significantly skinnier than everyone else, right? So it was something for me, it was my, my skin color, which I couldn't change and um, I was the only one and um, I thought I'd grown out of that and you know as I as I grew up went to college moved around lived and done other things that all faded into the background I you know it, it, and then also I saw that I came to experience that there are good people in the world not everybody's like that um so in this past year with Black Lives Matter kicking up and, you know, more stories of Asians getting harassed, it was a little bit triggering, triggering. you know, it 
took me back to being a child, except, you know, once I realized I was triggered, I can see that I am, I'm not a child anymore. What do I have within my experience that can help others uh, and can help make this world, mm -hmm. you know, better, try, try and move the needle towards more um, equity and inclusion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's an, I think even every day I learn more and more and I don't know if this resonates with you, but it's eye-opening how much we have to decolonize our minds and de like there's like the uh, predominant um, culture is capitalism and yes. imperialism yeah. and <laughs> white supremacy and patriarchy. <laughs> and like, there's so much to like, just decolonize our minds from. <laughs> there's yes. so much. <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean, each one of those is an element and a huge gigantic task in itself. Right. So like I was telling you before, some days it, it's overwhelming. And mm -hmm. I've just got to take a break from it and, and not, and by take a break, I mean, realize that it's, it's not helpful me wallowing mm -hmm. in the doom and gloom of that and um, get back to a place where I can be a little bit more constructive through my work, through impacting, you know, clients one at a time, yeah. through um, conversations I have with other people and conversations I have with my son, even, you know. Um, thankfully he's at a school that's quite progressive and mm -hmm. you know we live in San Francisco it's, yeah it's pretty much progressive as it gets yeah um, so so yeah 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 I'm, um, I'm wondering about this Pauline that was yes. growing up in England and um, and so clearly like aware of your difference aware of not fitting in and then um at what point where that couldn't easily like shut us down or make us smaller and be smaller, act smaller. Yes. Um, when did, when did things maybe change where there was maybe an inkling or a little spark that said, this doesn't have to be this way or, or that something's not right. You know, what was that moment? Um, I think, so, so I'm just, I guess, part of who I am. I, I've always just been very naturally observant. So kind of keeping an eye on what's going on. And, and I'm only seeing this in retrospect now as I'm talking to you. Um, but as a child, I think, I think we tend to kind of cower and give in or we do something about it. And, you know, the, the part which I gave in was like, yeah, you know, I'll stay quiet. I won't, I won't, um, I, I won't ruffle people's feathers. I won't ruffle the feathers of the bullies. Um, but I remember one time in a playground, I had three girls gang up on me. And, you know, I mean, I mean, this is like ch children's fighting style, right? Pulling hair, kicking, that kind of stuff, right? But those three of them on, 
And I don't know, something inside me just decided to fight back. I wasn't just going to stand and cower and take it. And so we, I, I did. Um, it went on long enough that the, the, whoever's monitoring the, the schoolyard finally got wind of it. We all got dragged off to the, uh, the headmaster's uh, office. But I was fine about it, right? I'm like, well, I think I was nine or 10 then. And um, I didn't, I can't remember I got in trouble or not, but I wasn't scared of authority. I wasn't scared of like, oh, you're gonna get dragged to the headmaster's office. Um, and I think there was something there from that, like, okay, I can, I need to stick up for myself. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that part of you. I love that part in every person that's <laughs> a, that like part that says, I, "No, yeah. no more. I'm doing yeah, something I different." So. I, think, I think you get pushed to the brink, <laughs> um, and then like you are, you have the keel over and do nothing, or you 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 do something back. And like, I don't think it was like conscious. It was something unconscious in me. Just mm -hmm. decided like this is what I need to do. Right, and um. There's always been an element of that, you know, of me. And I guess maybe that's just like kind of quiet <laughs> activism in, in myself. Nobody would meet me and think I'm an activist, you know, in the traditional mm -hmm. sense. But I, I'll find other ways. And, and I think, you know, I think of what is it? There's, there's different means to the same end. We yeah. all want it. And this is kind of my way of doing it. Yeah. 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 Your, um, I love, first of all, I love your story because, um, yeah, those bullies deserved it. <laughs> and also it reminds me of how I used to also push back against bullies. I was also bullied yeah. and because I was different and, right. um, <laughs> it was definitely like there was one there, I laugh about it now, but like, honestly, like if they're listening right now, like go to hell. Um, <laughs> they used to call my house and prank call me and mm -hmm. like bully yeah, me on definitely. the phone. I was young. I was probably yeah. like a freshman in high school or like eighth grade, something like that. Yeah. And I like just blew a gasket and I called the cops and I filed a report. Good for you. Good for and you. I was like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. like <laughs> yeah. and the police went to their house and they never called me again. They called me to apologize. Their moms made them call me uh -huh. to apologize. That's and I told them, I was like, I don't give a fuck. Like, do not ever call my house ever again because I will come and cut you. <laughs> like, leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> Man, I wish my parents would have encouraged me to do stuff like <laughs> my that. mom. My mom yeah. and dad were just like, they're you know, you're the epitome of immigrants. Like, we don't mess with the police. We don't trust the police. We don't do that. Like, right. we don't. We stay on our side. Right. We don't get involved with these white people problems. <laughs> like, let white people be white people. Like, very much right. that mindset. I grew up in that mindset, and um. I was like, no, I don't care. They're bullying me. I can't take this anymore. Right. So kudos to your nine-year-old self for fighting <laughs> back. I encourage, and I, I say this to 
um, like I say this to my niece too, like if somebody bullies you, push them. Yeah. I'd rather deal with the teachers and everybody after the fact. Do not be bullied. (laughs) Well, at that point, if if they're physically attacking you, that that that's self-defense. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Do not um, be bullied. It's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Um this part of you that the like no, I'm not taking this anymore and I'm going to fight back. Like how from that point, like I kind of, this is my interpretation is like, there's a birth there of this, this uh, no voice or, or at least yeah. an expression of it. Um, how has that part of you grown and changed? Like, where is it? Where is it? What's its arc and where is it now? I think the arc, well, I mean, if you look at my career, I've gone from um, corporate to culinary to coaching so I've I've made leaps and changes both professionally and geographically and um, I think that's where my growth is it's just not especially and the word that comes to me is underdog right or being underestimated people think oh you're just this small immigrant girl like you know, and um, just being willing to take that leap. I mean, the first time I did it, so this is where, this is, this is how I, I came to this realization. You know, when I graduated, I had a degree in chemistry and I realized mm, this isn't really what I want to do. What am I going to do next? And the UK was in recession back then. And um, so finding a job was hard I didn't have any money I had a degree that I didn't want to do anything with and I broke up with this guy that was really bad news for me you know so um all of those things so it was like crap what am I going to do now and um because I had spent my life up until then just listening to others trying to please others trying to check off the right boxes be a good student be a good daughter uh be a kid that doesn't get you know, punched around by other kids. Um, I started asking myself, you know, I've checked off all these boxes and, and, and like it hasn't worked out the way, you know, I went to and got my university degree. Um, I, I'm the first generation in our family to get one, right? And, and I, I was also the eldest daughter. I still am the eldest daughter that hasn't changed. Um, so I was left like, what now? You know, I've done everything right and I, and I don't have anything. And it was in that moment that I realized I have nothing to lose. What do I want to do? And I knew I wanted to travel. And I had some friends that I'd met from college that had since moved back to Hong Kong. And I had some British Chinese friends that were back there. And Asia was booming back then. I'm talking like mid nineties now, I'm aging myself. And um, I decided that let's just go out and see. I, I didn't have a plan. I just knew that maybe my prospects would be better out there. And that was it. You know, worst case, I would come back to, the, to England and find something to do. But I wanted to try it out. And so I borrowed some money, bought a one-way ticket, hopped on that plane, got over there. And the rest is kind of history. You know, I eventually landed a job with um, 
Disney um, doing marketing, something completely different. Something, it just opened up a new avenue for me that I, I didn't realize what it was about. And I realized I had an interest in it. And the thing is, it worked out. And the first time things work out, it could be, you could put it down to a fluke, you know, that you got lucky. And I think there might've been an element of that too uh, involved. In, in being sent there on an admin job, but actually landing a proper, like, like a, a, a job that I really wanted in the end. And um, it's through taking, knowing that and then taking other leaps in my life, you know, like going back to school, getting my MBA, going into consulting, you know, switching out. Um, and what I know is that things have a way of working out, maybe not in the form that you originally expected it to, but it does work out. And um, I think that's the arc of me just um, not sitting back and just taking whatever's given to me, but actually having some agency in that and being willing to, to move forward with that in uncertainty. Um, I guess because I grew up in, you know, without much certainty, without, you know, that, that, that comfort of knowing I was in an environment of people who were, you know, accepting and embracing of me, that it developed a lot of natural resilience in me. So, so, so being able to, to, to roll with uncertainty is, is not as, um, it probably doesn't scare me off as it does most people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was that like um, once you got to uh, Hong Kong? Ah, what was that like? So um, I ended up, I was, uh, so I had a friend who was also from England, born and raised like myself and the two of us, um, we rented this tiny studio, like the the shower bathroom was the size of a of a, of a, of, a, of a bathroom stall right like a restroom stall you know it's just it's just like a little shower head and you have to close the lid of the toilet and you take a shower. So that's how small it was um, we had to pay rent and you, you know whilst I was trying to find a proper job you know in quotation marks uh, I just took on temporary admin jobs that an agency would um, send me to and and that's how I ended up in Disney at the first place right um, the nice thing about the work there it was because it was the regional headquarters it was very international it had a mix of uh, Asians some British people a lot of Americans um, mm -hmm. and that's when I first met some Asian Americans too and mm -hmm. um, you know through getting to know them I realized our stories aren't all that different growing up. You know, the, mm. the only difference being the level of, I guess, economic privilege we had growing up. You know, some of them probably um, came from a family that was more middle class compared to mine that, that, that wasn't. Um, but in terms of um, our experiences of growing up in a Western society, that, that was quite similar. Um, the other thing that was really uh, eye-opening was that the local population there didn't see me 
as Chinese enough. And that was a bit of a surprise, not, not in such a good way. I mean, they have a term for it, which is not very nice. They call me, you know, they call people like me a, a banana girl or a banana boy that were yellow on the outside, but all white on the inside. And um, yeah, that was, it, it was interesting to, well, it wasn't interesting. It's interesting looking back at it now. Yeah, I was going to say my heart hurts it, just It feels like, that. oh, I didn't fit in in England and now I don't really feel like, like the locals don't make me feel like I fit in. And, I mean, I mean, my, my Cantonese had a bit of an accent so they could tell right away I wasn't like local. And um, so the friends that I had were all um, transient like myself. You know, they were young, they were professionals traveling and working. Uh, in Hong Kong, across Asia. Um, that was the mix of people that, that I hung out with. But it was also, um, it was nice. I felt like that was my tribe, you know, my, my, my group of people um, who, who was, you know, curious and adventurous enough to go live and work in a different country and also embracing a different culture. Uh, and, and open to that and um, yeah I know a different type of belonging yes is there a different type of belonging and and if I'm honest that's the uh kind of people that I gelled with the best the ones that are open to exploring different cultures to hearing and learning about them I mean at the same time you know there was a group of people you know there, there's there's ones that are expatriates, my expatriates to Hong Kong who felt like they were above, you know, they just had this air of superiority about them. And that's very different to the sort of people that I hung out with, yeah. Yeah, I'm um, like just struck by, and because also like you grew up in England, then you yes. lived in Hong Kong, and now you're in San Francisco, and yes. like these all this these mix of cultures in your experience, your life experience, even today. You know, I'm. How does and I don't know what the time frame is from like Hong Kong to San Francisco, or maybe what's in between. But like, how does identity and belonging and uh, how has that transformed from then till now, or how does it show up now? So the honest answer was, you know, I always, I, I, and I guess this part of this is cultural too, is, is you know, um, being of service to others, being helpful, honoring your elders, all that kind of stuff. And I was a bit of a, bit, I, I was a bit of a people pleaser. And so in doing that, I would mold myself, I would shift. So, so, you know, in the UK, I'd be a bit more British, more of that would come out. In, in, in Hong Kong, I'd be a bit more, more, more Asian, more Chinese, right? Um, so it was just molding myself to fit the environment so that um, my life would go smoother. I'd get less, uh, there'd be less friction around it. Um, but it wasn't until um, 
I read Bernie Brown's book. So it was always feeling like I didn't quite belong somewhere because I had to change myself. And it wasn't until I read Bernie Brown's book called uh, Braving the Wilderness. And I'm paraphrasing a bit here where she talks about belonging that we can't truly belong until we belong to ourselves first. And, you know, she put into words something that I had felt was, which was like, I, I just want to be me. I just want to be this blend of, I am part Asian, I am part uh, British too, and now I'm part American. Like this, I, I love this, this blend. Um, and it expresses itself in different ways, depending on, you know, what I'm doing or who I'm with. And so that's all part of me. Um, so after Hong Kong, I, I did go back to the UK for a little while and worked and, and I ended up in the US um, because my husband is from the, uh, he, was, he was in the US at that time. And I'd, I'd worked for so many American companies that it just, and I always had this um, intrigue and, and desire to, to work and live here. And we eventually landed in San Francisco and here, What's interesting, despite what, you know, criticisms people may have of this place, it felt like the first place where everything being relative, right? The first place where you were accepted just as you are, you know, white, black, brown, whatever, gay, straight, like you, you, you get a whole mix and on the whole, you know, it, it's people accept who you are. There's, there's less judgment or less, you, you feel less of that, that pressure to conform to, to something, yeah. right? I guess if we're conforming to anything like San Francisco likes being progressive capital, you're trying to conform to that. That's not a bad thing in my book. Um, so yeah, so that helped me feel like I was, that, like, like I was in a place that I belonged but I, I really don't think it's to do with location. I think location helps the people that you surround yourself with. Um, but it's really about you yourself. Um, I know that would be harder if, say, if you were living in more of a rural area in the middle of America, you know, as an Asian, as a, as a, as a person of color. Um, and thankfully, um, we have something called the internet that you can connect and meet people from different parts of the world, from different um, backgrounds, that, but, but you share similar values. So um, those are the things that have helped me build my own sense of, of belonging and belonging to me and being okay with that, yeah. I'm really curious because this isn't the first time I've heard something um, similar where yeah. um, multicultural life, right? A child yeah. of an immigrant growing up someplace, living somewhere else. Yeah. And it's finally in like the last place that they're living in where they have a sense of like belonging and ownership of who they are. Mm-hmm. And I'm so curious um, for your story, are, do you feel that has more to do with San Francisco or do you think that has more to do with like you stepped into yourself and you're owning who you are? 
I think someone's, I, I, I wouldn't know how to put percentage on it. I think there's a little <laughs> bit of that, you know, being in, 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 a, in a multicultural environment here. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of different Asian nationalities. Mm-hmm. There's uh, Europeans here too. Um, so it's pretty diverse, both in, both in people and in food and in um, uh, people's, people's uh, opinions. They're very opinionated here <laughs> and, and we welcome it and we allow for it. Um, but I think most of it has been to do with um, my own self-growth and feeling comfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like nothing's changed externally, but everything feels different because I'm no longer seeking approval from someone else to say, yes, you're the right sort of person. Yes, you're worthy. Um, Another great coach that I, I, I learned from, um, he, uh, he's called Michael Neal. And he said, um, all babies are born worthy. And I thought, wow, that is so true. And it's because we have all these, you know, cultural conditioning and all those societal messages all heaped onto us, right? So we're all born whole. We're like the diamond, but we have all this crap heaped up on us. And then we try and um, we we try and solve it by painting nail polish all over it <laughs> to look pretty again, right? So instead of that, it's it's helping, uh, you know. And this is what I do in my work: it's helping people remember that, you know, you were born a diamond. I know it sounds very kind of like yeah. uh, cliche, coachy language, but for, for for the sake of a metaphor, yes, um, we are all that unique an individual right regardless of if you are you know completely black or completely white or a mix of everything else right you're 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 a unique individual it reminds me of uh, our previous episode with clarissa who was yeah um she's a coach for uh mixed folks um and she you know just that like embodied holding a lot of things holding yes. a lot of identities in your body and yeah. and similarly that space that that metaphor totally resonates of there's like this wholeness at the core that's real and right. true for everyone and then all this other stuff that gets piled on and like the removal of that um right yeah to to shine to to be who we are and you know, you talked about, I loved, I think, Bartha, you said to own yourself, you know, and to have agency. And um, like, what do you, what, I, I don't know if this is the right question, but I was going to say, like, what gives you the courage to do that on a day-to-day basis? And, and maybe it's not courage, maybe it's something else. So I'm, uh, I'll just go and uh, go on record. I'm 50 now, right? So it's, but, but this courage has been brewing for the past several years, ever since I finally, you know, I spent 20 plus years just consuming um, personal growth books uh, and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until I got my first coach that I embarked on this journey of accelerated self-growth, let's call it. And so much so that I decided to actually become a coach myself, right? Um, 
and it's not like you know I'm all enlightened and great now I don't have any work to do but it's just that I have more tools at my disposal to to get out of my own SHIT my own shit and out of my own unhelpful thinking right um because the world around us is the world around us you know I don't know anybody who goes through life you know 100% happy that they never have shit happen in their lives um I think we both have that and um the other thing that I've become aware of is that it's just being okay and rolling with the good times and the bad times, rolling through all those experiences and not instead of saying, why me? Um, because I know that basically my life is a lot better now than when I was growing up and I, and I know I've worked to get here. So anything else that happens is, is, is icing on the cake basically. And when something crappy happens, it's like, okay, it's life, you know, we all. And I think just having that kind of approach has, has, has really helped me not to take things so personally. Um, yeah. 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 It's not. I wish I had something that felt like so incredible and enlightened and nobody's ever said before. But it, it can be, yeah, it can be that simple. Just knowing that we, we, we all have, you know, good days that happen to us and shit that happens to us. And, um, you know, we meet some great people along the way. We call them friends. We have some terrible people, which we try not to have anything to do with them or we try and figure out <laughs> some other way out of that. Right. Um, but being open to, to uh, address, being able to, 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 to walk through every, every kind of experience like that mm -hmm. and knowing that none of it's permanent. And the, the other part is we all die anyway in the end. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds awfully morbid, but actually... It's a good reminder. It's freeing. It's quite freeing. Yes. It's like, okay, I don't have to take anything super seriously, but exactly. I can do my part in trying to move the, the needle of this world to a better place, you know? That's it, mm -hmm. really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, seeing the the like part of you that said no at nine years old yeah. and this arc that it's taken and this like return here and and uh and this integration of like no and not even like no to a person or to a system but like no to to like worrying about this and 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 letting things affect you that are yeah. just out of your control and right. uh, I think you talk about like uh, integration a lot and like integrating parts of yourself and yeah, yeah. Um, you know that there's uh, I guess integration here yeah um, happening I, I, uh, I mean don't get me wrong I have days when I'm cursing at the world and just hate everything yes. <laughs> yes you're still but, human but yeah. <laughs> But I just know that I don't get stuck in, in it um, for as long. Yeah. 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 And I Thank think that's you. available to everyone. I don't think I'm unique or anything special uh, in, in being able to live from that space. Yeah. 
and it has nothing to do with um, you know how much money you have or don't have I mean of course like everyone wants the basics and and and, and to a certain level of comfort but beyond that yeah it's really is about your um, perspective on the world and on life yeah Um, what advice would you give folks that are just now, you know, maybe they're adults and they're just now starting their journey of like self-ownership or stepping into their own, like where should they start? Yeah, this is a good question. And, you know, I think we, we, we often make the mistake of starting by looking at, okay, what do I need to do? You know, what, what training do I need? You know, it's all about the, the doing. And um, as I've learned and probably you learned too, is that it, it's more about being, is that who, do you, who are you being? And an understanding that how your mind, for, for me anyway, I'm speaking from my experience, is, is, is getting a, a better handle of how your mind is either working for you or against you, right? Do you, how much do you listen to the unhelpful thoughts and treat them as real um, versus seeing that they're just unhelpful thoughts and shifting to what I call is, is, is tapping to our, our, our own inner wisdom, our own inner leader, that's, that's coach speak, but, but we have a wisdom inside us that helps guide as well. And it's more generative. You know, those thoughts are helpful because they're more generative, they're solution seeking. Um, they don't make you shut down. Um, and if people could just be more awake to that, to just how much they're reacting to like the, and it's, it's typically in the lizard part of your brain, right? The, the lizard brain versus the, the prefrontal cortex. Just how much are we, living life from just a reactive space and the thoughts it drums up in us versus actually giving ourselves that that bit of distance from those thoughts to see what's useful here right um once you have a better understanding of how your mind is working for you or against you i think that really helps people to be less afraid and less, not to be as insecure about what to do in their lives, you know. Um, and I can see that it gets harder now, you know, with social media and just an avalanche of information from all directions, just telling you, you need to be this, you need to be that. And um, so, so, yeah, definitely having control of your mind rather than having it being sucked in and, and taken over by all these influences. I, I think that is key more than anything else. Thank you. Like I, I agree a hundred percent that there's, I think what you're like, what I take the most from what you're saying is like self-awareness yeah. and, and knowing where, where your impulses or, or reactions yeah. or actions yeah. are coming from. Yeah. Yeah. I think, 
I think, you know, you know, even people who might be polar opposites to me, when you when you get past all of the the, the, the stuff, like what do you really want in life? I, I think we all want the same things. We all want love. We all want security, right? It's just that we have very different ways or we've been told very different ways to go about getting it. And if someone else gets it, that means you're not going to get it. And so it creates all this unnecessary tension. I, I don't live from that space. Um, and I think if we don't buy into that, that would be really helpful too. Yeah, we... We definitely, as a society, think it's like a zero-sum game. Yeah. And it really isn't. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's not helpful when, you know, the, the, the politicians mm-hmm. play up those tactics. They play it, yep. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. As ordinary folks, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that don't know better fall for it. And, you know. It's, and it's sometimes bad. not so ordinary folks fall for it. True. Yeah, or play into it. People in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, our brains like there's there's like the even belonging, right? Like belonging Mm -hmm. to a certain group, and like you don't belong in that group, and I belong here, and you belong there. It's like that can happen at so many levels. But yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. yeah, That's that's like another hunger we have. Maybe a common Mm -hmm. hunger is belong. Like love and security together might be belonging. You know. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you feel like we haven't touched on or that remains unsaid that you want to make sure gets across to listeners? Um, I, well, you know, lately I've been working more and more with um, the Asian American community. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think that we are um, a little bit weak at is, is, is speaking up and using our voices. And um, it's something I'm encouraging in others and I'm encouraging in myself. So it's always, I always have this motto of like, you gotta go first, you know, you can't just sit back and wait for others. So for someone like me, who's quite happy being high in the scenes, you know, making my clients the star, you know, my work um, coming out and speaking and even speaking to the both of you. This is more examples of me, right? That's my edge of um, my voice. Yeah. And and later on this week, uh, I have a talk that I'm giving to a nonprofit for for Asian American women. So yeah, I'm stepping up big time. And you, you know, I'm not a natural born speaker but I feel like I have something to share to help others, especially, you know, younger women. I'd like them to know what I know now that I wish I'd known back in my early twenties or even younger, you know, as a, as a school age uh, person. And so that, that's where I feel like I can make a bit more of an impact. And um, to anyone else who's listening out there, Think about, you know, what ways can you use your voice? Even like not asking you to go on a stage and be a TED speaker. I mean, if that's what you want to do, great, do that. But how can you be five? Let, let's just make it small. I have a coach that always says, how can you be 5% more of that thing that you want to do? 
So I want to encourage people who don't use their voice very often, but feel like they have one is how can you be 5% more courageous in stepping up to use it? Yeah. Cause that's doable for everyone, I think. And yeah. every little bit counts. We start somewhere. So if you can't make the leap, do baby steps. I love the five percent. Um, the five percent. I love that. So great. Yeah. It's so achievable. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was uh, Jason Goldberg. He was the one that introduced me to that concept first. I have to ask. You know this this five percent. This edge of speaking out of being more vocal. Yes. Um, here I have to ask again, like, what gives you that courage? What, what pulls you forward? I'll tell you what pulls me forward um, and what, what doesn't, what, what doesn't, like, what's kept me back for so long is like, oh, what if I ruffle feathers? What if people judge me? You know, the typical inner critic voices. And I've stopped and I've realized that that is not helpful. Um, and it's, it's anchoring back into what's important about doing this because I have no idea how the outcome will be I don't have any idea how much impact I make but I have the intention and I know what's valuable about it and my job is just to do it and um, not worry not not be attached to the outcome Uh, and I found that every time I do that then things have a way of working out when I'm not attached to the outcome it's when I get insecure and try and control it and like try and make sure nobody's going to judge me and like that's all made up anyway I can't really control if people judge me or not right but we're very good at making up that we can try and twist ourselves into a pretzel um, to control what 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 comes out and so letting all of that go um, is is and, and just staying aligned with what's important about doing this helps me it gives me enough time to actually get it done right and then afterwards I might go oh well I'm not sure how that went (laughs) but it's done (laughs) I I I don't know if this is true for you but I can't help I keep seeing this young the nine-year-old Pauline that says no and like and like doesn't care about like I don't care if I have to go to the principal's office or whatever and get in trouble like this is not happening and you here it is like again in your five percent of like I don't I don't know what I can't worry about the outcome but I gotta speak and it's important to speak that's beautiful so yeah I'm doing it one 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 little step at a time and you know really uh this has been wonderful to to have this opportunity to speak with you both um Mm. you've made it very easy for me to just talk and hopefully whatever I've said is somewhat useful to the listeners out there yes yeah yeah so uh people are wanting to connect with you online um how how can they do that or where can they find you um the best place to find me is uh on my website it's paulinechungcoaching.com and if they want to write to me they can write to me at info at paulinechung.com and we'll have love, that in the episode yeah, description. Thank you. Yeah. What were you going to say? Sorry. No, I love connecting with people one-on-one and hearing their stories. Um, so yeah, that, that's why I invite people to email me directly. 
I know I need to do a bit more on social media, but I have this love-hate relationship with it. It's kind of like this rabbit hole you can sink into. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Okay, so that means we are now into the fire round. And Barthi is the host of the fire round. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, yeah, like, so the fire, lightning round, fire round, either name. Um, I'm going to ask you five different questions. And just the first thing that comes to mind when I ask the question, just answer with your heart's content. Right. Um, so, yeah. So the first question is, <laughs> what are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? I'm afraid of... I'm afraid of being on my deathbed and, and ha- having that, what if I had tried it mm-hmm. question, you know, that regret. Yeah. I've read it over and over again. That's one of the most common things that people regret. So mm-hmm. yeah, anytime I get really scared about doing something, I, I, I ask myself, am I going to regret this on my deathbed if I don't actually try? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a great I'm answer. Scared of that. Yeah. It's like I needed to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely needed to hear that. <laughs> um, what gets you up in the morning? Oh, I'm not a morning person, but um, <laughs> I love my work. So knowing that I have uh, clients ahead to coach, mm-hmm. um, that gets me up. Mm-hmm. Um, nice weather gets me up. And um I love learning too. So, you know, yeah. I'm a bit of a personal growth course junkie. So if I've got something to attend, that gets me up too. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can definitely relate to the like course junkie thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have to like, I feel like that's like every coach. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. A lot of coaches love that. Um, yeah. I'm still yeah. trying to find a way to get paid for learning <laughs> like oh good. my god yes how amazing would it be to just to be able to go to university for like life <laughs> yeah yeah I, I don't get tired of that so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. same same cool. um fill in the blank freedom is not having to worry about someone else's opinion of you hmm Love it. Love it. Mm. Um, what are you currently reading, listening to, or watching? I'm reading a book called um, Radical Candor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's written by Kim Scott. It's about how do you give feedback and how do you, how do you communicate things that are a tough, difficult, but in a way that also shows that you care. Because if yeah. you, without that caring piece, you just come across as an asshole, as she says it, right? Yeah. But how do you, how are you able to do both, right? As opposed to the, the other thing that you do is like not say anything at all, right. which is, it, it doesn't serve you and it doesn't serve the person that you're, you're, you're that, that needs to hear something. Yeah. So that's been an interesting book. Um, yeah and that's taking me on the lines of like improving communication skills so yeah yeah 
Are you listening to or watching anything right now that you want to share? I listen to a lot of different podcasts. So, you know, one of them is yours. Mm -hmm. um, one of them that I do like is by a coach. It's called Caffeine for the Soul mm -hmm. uh, by Michael Neal. And they're little 10 minutes and he's yeah. quite thought provoking. Yeah. Um, and I, I've learned a lot from him. I think I've gained a lot of peace through, through you know, the way he teaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and finally, what is your uh, first and second favorite curse words? <laughs> first and second. I have yes. to ask this question. I think the first one is the F word. I'm like, fuck. Yes. <laughs> Get really mad. And I don't know if um, shit. Yeah. Qualifies. Shit. Like, is that, yeah. Yeah, totally yeah. qualifies. Because they still, yeah. they still edit it out, right? It's still not allowed. Right. Like in yeah. vernacular. Yeah. Although I have a feeling fuck is going to change. Like, like post pandemic, <laughs> I think fuck is going to become like a part of everyday vernacular. <laughs> There's Even so many the ways it gets used, doesn't it? Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I also think words that are like, if it just feels like a curse word, even if it's not, yeah. uh, I have a friend who combined jackass and asshole and, and it's a jackhole. And it's, jackhole. Just, it's, yeah. not, it's not like a curse a word thing. officially, it's not, it's but yeah. right? it it's not even a thing. real thing. Yeah. It does it, but to me, if I'm like, you jackhole, like it, it, it feels it like that curse. Effect. It feels, yeah, yeah, yeah. It totally feels yeah. like it. <laughs> Oh, oh man, fun. <laughs> well, thank you so much, yes. Pauline, for coming and for sharing your story and how things are unfolding for you um, and sharing your wisdom for our listeners. So we thank appreciate you. it. It was yeah. great to talk to both of you, Sherry and Barty. It was great. Yeah. Thank you. It was great to talk to you, too. Thanks for joining us on Unfolding Sharp Corners. We consider this a community space where we can learn together. If you want to share your insights, questions, or feedback, we invite you to click the link in the episode description. We're on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Subscribe to the show to catch every new episode. And follow us on Instagram at Unfolding Sharp Corners. Make sure to leave a review so we can continue to explore more corners with you. See you soon.